Good morning, Reconcile. Uh, today's scripture reading is going to be from Malachi 1.6 through Malachi 2.9. A son honors his father and a servant his master. But if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is your fear of me? Says the Lord of armies to you priests who despise my name. Yet you ask, how have we despised your name? By presenting defiled food on my altar. And how have we defiled you, you ask, when you say, the Lord's table is contemptible. When you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor, asked the Lord of armies. And now plead for God's favor. Will he be gracious to us? Since this has come from your hands, will he show any of you favor, he asked the Lord of armies. I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would no longer kindle useless fire in my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting. Incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of armies. But you are profaning it when you say, the Lord's table is defiled and its products, its food is contemptible. You also say, look, what a nuisance, and you scorn it, says the Lord of armies. You bring stolen, lame, or sick animals. You bring this as an offering. Am I to accept that from your ants? asked the Lord. The deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of armies, and my name will be feared among the nations. Therefore, this is, this, this is decree, uh, this decree is for you priests. If you don't listen and you don't if you don't take heart to honor my name, says the Lord of armies, I will send a curse among you, and I will curse your blessings. In fact, I've already begun to curse them because you are not taking it to heart. Look, I'm going to rebuke your descendants, and I will spread animal waste over your faces, the waste from your festival sacrifices, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I sent you this decree, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of armies. My covenant with him, it was one of life and peace, and I gave these to him. It called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and integrity and turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should desire instruction from his mouth, because he is the messenger of the Lord of armies. You, on the other hand, have turned from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have violated the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of armies. So I, in turn, have made you despised and humiliated before all the people, because you are not keeping my ways but are showing partiality in your instruction. This is God's word. All right, so, so some of y'all, what is going on in this text? So we got some explaining to do. 
got some explaining to do. Uh, we are um, in the book of Malachi. It's, it's our general practice to uh, work through books of the Bible uh, verse by verse. And we are in uh, Malachi right now. Uh, what's up? Okay. All right, somebody's lights are on. All right. So we got some explaining to do. We're going to be in um, Malachi. Uh, we're in the season uh, that we're calling Lent. It's a time of self-examination. Uh, uh, we've talked about how we're going to spend extra time in prayer uh, and, and with the word and fasting and, and being generous. But the idea is that you kind of break your normally scheduled activities to make sure that you're just not going through the motions with the Lord. It's very easy to do the things that Christians ought to do, but to not think very deeply about why you're doing it, or to do them in a very half-hearted way. And what this passage is talking about is simple. God does not like worship that is half-hearted and that's simply going through the motions. That is the crux of the passage. Okay, so we're going to look at it, we're going to explain it, and we're going to ask God to, to reveal in our hearts areas that we might need to repent, to live openly and honestly with him. So we get this first chunk starting in verse 6, and we see that God hates half-hearted worship. It says, a son honors his, his father and a servant his master, but if I'm a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is your fear of me, says the Lord of armies to you priests who despise my name? Yeah, you ask, how have we despised your name by pre prevent, presenting defiled food on my altar? How have we defiled you, you ask, when you say the Lord's table is contemptible? So let, let me tell you what's going on, all right? So in, in the Old Testament of God, they had this sacrificial system. So at the, the heart of Jerusalem was this temple, and it was the place where God dwelled. And, and I want you to understand two fundamental aspects, that, that the reason that they would sacrifice animals in, in, in their process of asking for forgiveness is God wanted them to see the seriousness of sin. Sin costs something. Sin hurts other people. And when you have to sacrifice an animal as a demonstration of your understanding of the series of sin, it's supposed to get deep down ingrained. And the other thing is forgiveness costs something too. He wanted them to see that, that God is forgiving, but he forgives through atonement. Now, if you ever had to forgive somebody, you realize that that is a deep emotional cost. And what God wants to explain and wants the people to, to get down deep is that he is a forgiving God, but he is a God that forgives through atonement, through sacrifice. And the way that they were doing it was displaying that they did not honor him at all. He starts off and says, like, like if, if, you are, if you honor your father, and if you honor your master, why do you not honor me? See, see, God is the creator. You ever heard somebody say, I brought you in this world and I can take you out? It's the idea that, hey, 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 I created you. You came from me. Therefore, you owe me obedience. Not only is a, he's a creator, he's a caregiver. He's the one who cares for our needs. The Bible says that every good and perfect thing comes down from above, from him. But how often do we bite the hand that feeds us by not caring? God's not only our creator and our caretaker, he's our boss. 
He gives us instructions on how we ought to live well. Now, I know maybe you've seen somebody uh, about to put uh, a piece of furniture together and they look at the instructions and maybe they just throw them away or crumble them up. And you're like, well, wait a minute. That's for you. <laughs> that's, that's to help you. We look at God's rules as impediments or as things to crush us, but they are actually to help us live a fruitful and satisfying life. What's interesting is if you were to come to these leaders, these priests and the people, they would say, well, how are we despising God's name? We're still doing the thing, right? We're, we're sacrificing the animals. We're singing the songs, reading the scriptures. We're, we're doing the stuff we're supposed to do. But in fact, God sees half-hearted worship as despising his name. See, what was happening is they were bringing these sick and impure animals to get sacrificed. That's a complicated subject, but I just want you to get down to this. It was about saving money and cutting corners. So they looked at the things that they could offer God, and they saw their flock, and they were like, well, that's sick one. I probably can't get enough money for him. So let me go ahead and bring that one to the Lord. Let me go and bring the one that, that won't give me enough when I, when I have to sell it, or it's not producing something right now. You know, imagine give a husband giving his wife a wilted rose. And the wife says, why did you give me this wilted rose? And he says, well, it was cheaper. Do you think that would go over well? Yeah, we instinctively know that if you give something just that's the worst because it was easy and because you cut corners, because you saved a buck, that does not communicate honor. It does not communicate care. And this is what the people of Israel were doing through their leaders, the priests. Not only that, they saw worship as a chore. That's what they said, like, this table is contemptible. I hate doing this. We do it because we're supposed to do it, I guess, but I don't like this whole sacrificial system. I, this is, ah, I don't want to do this. They saw the worship of God, something like, get out the trash. You, you kind of have to do it. It'd be bad if you didn't do it, but you're not skipping to the trash can, okay? Something, well, I, guess, I guess we got to do it. And God saw this worship, this half-hearted, cutting corners, cheapskate worship. And then he also saw the hypocrisy of them asking God for his best when they gave him their second best. Look at that, that verse 9. It says, now plead for God's favor. Will he be gracious to us since this has come from your hands? Will you show us any favors? Like, God, please, 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 please help me. I need your help. I want you to be gracious. I want you to, to bless what I do. But they're like, God's like, well, what are you offering? This is lopsided. Why would I give you my best when you treat me just like trash? Something that you kind of have to do. You know, this is, this is what we do sometimes. I have conversations with people who, who are very angry at God at times. And then when we analyze the life, I'm like, well, ain't, ain't like you trying to serve God either, though. What you mad for? Why you mad? You don't like him? We actually try to hold God to a standard that we don't get nowhere in trying to hold. We want him to honor our request, but we just think about him sparingly as a thing that we ought to do. It's crazy. In verse 10, he says he would rather there be no worship than half-hearted. Monitor down. It's ringing. He would rather there be no worship than half-hearted worship. Verse 10 says, I wish one of you would shut 
the temple, shut the temple doors so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I'm pleased with you, says the Lord of armies, and I will accept no offering from your hands. He's like, I, I would rather you just don't come. Just stay at your house. I don't like this. I don't like that you kind of feel like you ought to do it. I don't like that you treat it as a chore. It's just, just go home. Don't even do the thing. And this is a call for us to examine our worship, right? If, if the God of the universe is looking at half heart and worship and say, I don't want it. Just take it home. We ourselves should examine worship and say, is it half-hearted? Are we going through the motions? Is it a chore? Do we do it because we feel obligated? Because here's the deal. If you're doing it that way so that you can check off the box with God, God says, I don't want that. I would rather you just be on somewhere else. We have to examine our worship. We have to examine our, our heart, our affections, what we love. See, see, worship is not just about going through the motions. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is what? To love God. That there will be deep affection. Beloved, you, you understand when people are going through the motions, but there's no affection. There's no emotion. They just do the thing. Now, we're not supposed to, to pretend and act, but, but what I desire, what I think God desires is that, that when we are singing to him, that we are pondering and meditating on his goodness and saying, thank you for all that you have done. When we go to the Word, have you ever wondered, listen, it's a miracle that you even have a Bible. I've lived in, lived in a country before where it was hard to get a Bible if you were a Christian. It was hard. You didn't just have one. And when you had one, you treated it as precious. You say, the God of the universe has spoken to me, and I will revere and hold it dear. Not only individually, but when we worship together, when we come together on Sunday, is it a chore? Or do we say, well, no, we've, we've actually come here with an intention that when you're driving on the way here, you're like, I am coming to give God my best. I am coming to sing with my heart. I am coming to meditate on what he has said. We worship him as we pay attention to his word, as we sing, even as we do things like lift or clap our hands. We're saying everything that we have, God, we want it to be for you. Now, here's one of the main issues that God had with their half-hearted worship. That God created worship to be something that would lead other people to worship him. Not just the people in the room, if you will. But diligent, heartfelt worship is supposed to lead to mission. Look at verse 11. It says, my name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to a setting. Incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations. But you are profaning it when you say the Lord's table is defiled and its product, its food is contemptible. You say, look, what a nuisance. And you scorn it, says the Lord of armies. You bring stolen, lame, or sick animals. You bring this as an offering. Am I to accept this from your hands? He says, the, the deceiver is cursed who has accepted a male in his flock and makes a vow but sacrifices an effective animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of armies, and my name will be feared among the nations. See, God's intent 
all the way back from Genesis was not just to have a, 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 a little special people that are just, just in a corner, but that his name would be honored and worshiped throughout the whole earth. And the quality and the heartfelt intention of the worship of the people who are his is supposed to send a message to everybody else to go, wait, 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 wait. Maybe we should pay attention. Maybe we should look into this God. Listen, I don't, you don't even have to explain this to know it's true. When there's a new television show, when there's a new song, when there's a new thing that's really cool, and everybody's like, y'all, this is really cool, and everybody else goes, well, maybe I should check it out. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is common sense. And he says that incense and offering, that, that there will be continual prayer and praise offered to God from every single nation. And that the beauty of worship and devotion should attract all kinds of people. In 1 Corinthians 14, he talks, he's talking about a worship gathering and where God is present and people are praising and people are encouraging one another. And he says, if somebody who doesn't believe comes into that, that they will fall on their face and say, God is here. That, that, that is what we want to see in worship. Not that just we're just, well, we're just here. No, beloved, we come to meet with the living God. And not only is the act of worship an apologetic, but the kind of people that worship produces should be an apologetic. If we come here and hear God's word and sing God's praises and encourage one another, it must have an effect on our Monday through Saturday. But they viewed worship as a burden. And not only that, they worship as hypocrites. He talked about this, this one guy says, hey, he's a deceiver. And he says, I'm going to give you the best, the best one. I'm going to give you the best animal. And he doesn't. He's like, here's this other one. They were acting like they were giving their best, but they weren't. We ourselves have to be careful of deception. Telling ourselves, yeah, man, I, I give everything to the Lord. But, but not really, though. After this, he says, listen. You treat me like this, but I'm a great king. Right? In verse 14, I am a great king. See, God is a great king who is worthy to be celebrated. And the worship of God should lead the nations to coming to him. This is a stinging indictment on the people of Israel. And beloved, I think it's one on us as well. That we need to do some hard self-examination. Do I see God as a great king, a king who provides my needs, who loves me, who protects me? If he is that king, then he deserves heartfelt worship. Now, God ain't done. He gets in with actually not just the people, but with the people who are leading this worship. He curses hypocritical ministry. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, therefore, this is the decree for you priests, for you leaders. If you don't listen and if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, says the Lord of armies, I will send a curse among you and I will curse your blessing. In fact, I've already begun to curse them because you are not taking it to heart. Look, I'm going to rebuke your descendants. I will spread animal waste over your faces, the waste from festival sacrifices, and you will be taken away from it. And those who are not familiar with the Old Testament are like, dog. Like... <laughs> He said, what? <laughs> like, just spend, spend a little time up in that Old Testament. He'll say some stuff, okay? Let me tell you what's going down. 
The Old Testament priests, they had really two functions. They were supposed to represent God to the people by teaching what was true. And they also were to represent the people for God by praying consistently on their behalf. But they were impure and their impurity would be cursed. In other words, the long-term fruit of what they do will be bad. Now, here's the interesting thing. As I've talked to people who have had different experiences with church, I didn't hear some weird stuff, y'all. I didn't hear some weird stuff done by people who profess to be leaders in God's name. I, didn't, like, I, I remember sitting in this room having a small group, and for some reason we were talking about money and what, what the Bible says about money. And I remember everybody in my small group had something weird to say about a pastor with money, that they would twist people's arm to get it. They would sit in the offering basket twice. I ain't, I ain't never heard of that. <laughs> but this, this is from people. They was telling me. I was like, they did what? I remember one time I was at uh, the local high school where we, we uh, before COVID, we did a Bible study uh, uh, once a week. And, and I just was trying to gauge where people were at were in their understanding. And I said, hey, what's the gospel? Somebody tell me what the gospel is. And somebody stood up and says, well, my pastor told me that the gospel is if you give enough money, then you get to heaven. I said, What? That is, what? That is crazy. But listen, listen, I've heard it so much that I know people aren't making it up. Sometimes the church has a bad reputation, and a lot of times it's warranted. That is, that is a curse upon the church, a curse upon God's people, because the leadership is not taking God's word seriously. And it makes what we talk about seem foolish. Is it real or is it not? This is, is, is God's response to, to ministers and ministries that are crooked and perverse. Now, that whole part that you're probably asking about, well, what the animal waste? What's going on? So when they were sacrificing animals, obviously that was a messy business, yes? It was not like the most clean thing. But in, in their mind, they're like, I'm doing this for you. I'm offering it to you. And he's like, no, nah, you can have it back. Just, no, take it back. I know you've seen like on a movie where somebody was mad at somebody and they gave a gift and it's like, no, nah, I don't even want that. Look, with this half-hearted, impure, unfaithful ministry, God just says, get it out my face. I don't want it. God will not accept it. And Jesus even reaffirms that. He says, there will be many on the last day who will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy, cast out demons, did I not do all these things in your name? And he will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. He contrasts this with, with Levi, who was, who was the first priest. He says, true ministers have integrity and faithfulness to the teaching. Look at verse 4. Then you will know that I sent this decree so that my covenant, my promise with Levi may continue. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave these to him. It called reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and integrity and turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should desire instruction from his mouth because he is the messenger of the Lord of armies. 
In other words, true ministers have to actually revere and honor the name of God, not just in speech and not just in service, but in their, the quality and the character of their lives. See, true holiness is not just about fulfilling a function. If you jump to the New Testament and you look at the qualifications for pastors and deacons, it has very little to say about the function. It talks about their character. Are they above reproach? Are they gentle? Do they show kindness to people who disagree? They shouldn't be a bully. They shouldn't be drinking. Look, look, God, I want you to understand this. If anybody here is aspiring to any type of ministry, whether that's, that's here preaching, whether it's serving in some kind of capacity at the church, God is so much more concerned about the character of your heart than the function of your hand. And you can deceive yourselves by saying, look at all the things that I've done. And God says, but listen, what I see is the heart. And so if we accomplish tasks for God and are not present to God, are not humble before God, are not reverent when we look to God, God does not care about what we have done, quote unquote, for him. Because in actuality, if it's not done from a character that is, that is humble, it is not done for him, but for us. So that people can say, oh man, look how cool or holy said person is. So true ministry is, is not only about, about walking humbly with God, but I love it says that, that, that it says true instruction was in his mouth and that he guarded knowledge. I, here, I wanted to make this point. The priest and the minister does not make up knowledge. He doesn't invent knowledge. He doesn't invent new doctrines. He guards what is there. He guards what is there. In other words, what this means for us is that we have to be faithful to the text of Scripture. My job is not to scratch your ears with stuff you ain't never heard before. It's to guard what is written in the book. We don't make up new stuff. Beloved, we need to hear the, the same stuff applied in a fresh way. He goes on to say that that that. You, on the other hand, this is verse 8, have turned from the way. You cause many to stumble by your instruction. In other words, he says, man, y'all, these, these Old Testament priests, their teaching was so bad. They did not stick to what was the knowledge that it caused people to stumble. It caused people to doubt who God was. Now, I didn't talk to you a little bit about how I've seen the, how, how people and, and pastors talk about money, how it really does damage to people. But there, there's something I want, I'll call a, a prosperity gospel light, if you will. It's not necessarily about money, but it's that if you follow God, everything will be daisies. All your problems will be taken care of. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be the best time ever. And beloved, that's true in the heart. But if we follow Jesus, he says that we will follow in his footsteps. The scripture calls him a man of suffering. Yeah. There's only, I love this, this is what uh, St. Augustine said. God has only one son without sin, but all of his children have suffering. So listen, here's the deal. If pastors would guard the text, if they would stick to the text, this teaching would not be there. 
I, my favorite book is in the book of Acts, and, and Paul's going around planting different churches, and he's, he's getting persecuted as he does it, and he goes to the church, and he plants church in, in Thessalonica, and, and one of the things he says as he's, as he's leaving, he says, through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God. God bless you. You know, like, thank you, I guess. But like, listen, the idea is that we, we're not going to swerve from what the scripture is teaching because we need people to have proper expectations. And when we set up expectations that are not faithful to the text, it's not simply that they see the pastor as a liar, but they see God as one. And God will not be misrepresented. So when I think about this, this passage of faithfulness and leadership, I, I'm even thinking about even in our church right now, there, there are, are some, some guys in an in a eldership and pastor process right now. I'm training some guys right now to be pastors. And the thing that we are talking about, it has much less to do with can you write a sermon and way more to do is are you holy? Do you love your family? Do you take care of your kids? If I went to your job, would they say you're crazy? <laughs> These are the things that matter. God continues in verse 9 about how he will just curse this unfaithful ministry. Verse 9 says, So I in turn have made you despised and humiliated before all the people because you are not keeping my ways but are showing partiality in your instruction. What is it, partiality in your instruction? It means that they pick and choose what they want to talk about. I'll talk about this part. I guess I like this part, but the other part, that's hard. I'm going to leave that out. That's a dangerous thing to do. In Acts 19, when, when Paul, he's actually talking to a bunch of elders, a bunch of pastors, and he's basically having this last conversation because he knows he's about to go and suffer and be martyred. And he says this phrase that just stinks in my heart. He says, I am innocent of the blood of all people because I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So, okay, so how can a, a pastor be faithful? By declaring everything the text says. That's how God builds his people up. And we see this unethical leaders and false teaching destroys people and the reputation of God's name. It's like we can't go a couple of months without seeing somebody else doing something dumb. Shoot, even our own city, people be on the news for stuff. Y'all know. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, <laughs> it's almost safe. But the fact of the matter is it hurts people, yeah? It hurts people, and it discredits the name of God. Now, here's the deal. Here's what we can know from history, that God didn't just say this stuff. It wasn't just empty words. I want you to understand, God did curse this ministry. If you go to Jerusalem, you will not find a temple. If you go to Jerusalem, you will not find any priests. It was so destructive that he just shut the whole thing down. Now, here, here's the deal. We can very easily look at these priests and look at the people of Israel from, from uh, hundreds of years ago and go, man, look, look at them. They're not worshiping God, right? They're not honoring him. They don't care. But we need to be careful about pointing the finger before we examine ourselves. The good news of the New Testament is that Jesus came not just as a perfect man, but as a man who would fulfill a new priesthood. The book of Hebrews calls him the great high priest. 
And he succeeded in every place where these priests and where we have failed. Remember how we talked about the most important qualification was one, integrity? That there would be holiness of the heart and a sincere devotion? He could say, whatever I see the Father do, I do. Whatever I hear the Father say, I say. In fact, at his trial, they were trying to come up with things to accuse him of, and they couldn't find anything. They ended up making something up. Jesus walked in sinless perfection as an act of worship to God the Father. And that other thing that they had to keep, they didn't just have to to walk in holiness, but they had to, to keep the teaching. It is stunning how many times Jesus is in a conversation and he says, it is written. Or have you not heard? Or Moses said. Even he himself, the author of life, is not making stuff up. He is sticking to the text. He didn't just live a flawlessly holy life. He didn't just stick and guard the knowledge of what is written. He offered the most pure sacrifice. Remember, that was the issue. They were, they were, they were offering these gimpy-legged animals, talking about, look how honorable this is. Now, what did Jesus offer? In 1 Peter 1.18, it says, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty ways of life, inherited from your ancestors. Get this. Not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Christ offered what was most valuable for our sins. Himself. Himself. Now, here's what, what's beautiful what Christ does. Christ becomes the, this, this, this new head, this figurehead of God's people, and he creates this new priesthood. Now, here's a crazy thing. Like, who's a priest in, in New Testament times? Y'all. Everybody. Not just the pastor, not just the one who does the, the quote-unquote holy things. Romans 12, 1, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. In 1 Peter, he calls the church a holy priesthood. Meaning what? Meaning that everything that we do ought to be an act of worship and sacrifice to the Lord. Y'all know I'm a door. Let me get dorky real quick, okay? Just bear with me. Bear with me, okay? So one of the issues that Martin Luther had with, with the, the Catholic Church at the time is that they made a hierarchy of callings. Like, if you really, really want to be holy, then you need to be a monk or you need to be a nun. That's how you know you're really, really serious. And one of the things that Martin Luther said, no, 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 every single calling is holy. Every single thing that you could, whether it's something that seems honorable to the world, he, said, he says, listen, listen, it is holy when, when a mother changes the diaper. It's a function and an action that God has given you and that by serving God through those regular things, you are honoring him and tangibly helping people. It doesn't matter what kind of job you have. It doesn't matter, matter what somebody, if somebody looks up at you or looks down at you. Your calling is a holy calling and you can do it in such a way that shows that you honor God and that God would use that to serve other people. So no, we don't, we don't sacrifice 
animals anymore. Christ was sacrificed once for all. But our works are sacrifices. The way we fulfill our responsibilities are sacrifices. And listen, just like the Old Testament priests, we can do it in such a way that it's like, well, nah, here you go. I, don't ha- I hate this. Yeah, I know what I'm talking about. Or we can do it in such a way. Now, this is the work that God has given me to do. And I can honor him through it. You know, every, every, every Sunday when I'm preaching, I always want to make something practical. And I've been thinking about like, okay, what is, what is some of the practical applications? Obviously, we look at, at our callings, whether we're, you know, a spouse, or whether you're a child, whether you're, you're a parent or wherever you work, you have some specific callings that God has given you and that the way that you do them is a way to specifically honor him and serve others. But the other thing I was thinking is that we need to reemphasize the importance of the Sunday gathering. There's a lot of teaching that, that is like, well, uh, being a Christian is more than Sunday. Sundays, and I agree, but it's not less. Can we agree? <laughs> it's not less than that. <laughs> yes, it matters what you do the other days, but, it is, but listen, this is, is what makes us distinctly Christian. In other words, our gathering, listen, has a priestly function. I'm going to break it down for you. You know, when we think about praise and worship, what, what do you think they were doing at the temple besides sacrificing animals? They were singing there, there was music. There was the, the writing and the singing of psalms of praise. Not only was, was there that, there was supposed to be consistent prayer. That's what the incense represents, that there were, you know, if you sing some incense, it's like, it doesn't just stop. It just keeps going. That's how our prayer is supposed to be. Like when we come together, one of the reasons that, that I want to make sure that we have a time of prayer together is to say, hey, if we're priests of the Lord, then we got people we need to represent in prayer. Not only do we represent others when we pray, but God speaks to us through the word. I was talking to a a sister in a church last week, and she was telling me that before Sunday, she was struggling with a particular uh, decision and a particular feeling. And she says, she said, when you said X, Y, Z in the sermon, I don't even remember half saying that. She's like, when you said that, then I knew what God was telling me to do. This is not a pat on the back for me. This is a pat on the back for the word. That when the word is preached, God himself speaks to you. And, you know, we do this, this one thing every week. We call it communion or the Lord's Supper. And what is it doing? It's commemorating the sacrifice that was made for our salvation. So we don't got to make no new sacrifices. But every, every week we remember that his body was broken and his blood was spilled. The old name for communion back in, back in, you know, I'm a dork, okay? Back in the day. They used to call it the Thanksgiving. They just saw, that's, that's what they had. They, they saw what Christ had done, and they saw this is how we thank him. This is how we remember what he has done. The sacrifice for our sin that was made for once and all. And lastly, beloved, when we worship, I want you to come with a holy expectancy. Listen, when people went to the temple, they were like, God, live here. Beloved, when we praise when we worship, when we sing, our God is near to us. And not only that, he uses corporate worship to form and to change us. So we practice honoring God's word. My hope that after, after weeks and weeks of praying for the oppressed, 
that you would begin to look around in your life and say, who is oppressed near me and how can I help them? We practice by caring for others and we learn to live a life of thanksgiving and praise because of what God has done for us in Christ. So, beloved, let's be diligent. I understand I'm not trying to cast any type of shame on people who have legitimate concerns because of coronavirus. It's a weird time. But I, I just remember when we had those couple of months where we didn't meet at all. And then when we came outside, it was summer, it was hot. But even just seeing other people and worshiping together, I remembered, man, this is meaningful. And God does something through it. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, I I ask that you would examine our hearts, and Lord God, if there would be uh, half-hearted, hypocritical worship, that you would convict us and that you would grant us repentance. And Lord, for our failures, would we see our great high priest, Jesus Christ, as offering himself for our forgiveness. And not only doing that, but he is alive and well today, and he can empower us to love you, to serve you, and to serve others. Lord, I'm asking that, that, that his power would be living in us so that we can appropriately honor you and appropriately serve our neighbors. For the glory of God the Father, in the name of Jesus the Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.